All right, back to the book of Romans. Back to the book of Romans. I'll pick up a topic that I kind of uh, I alluded to a number of times during uh, Sunday school. It kind of it deals with what we'll be talking about in Romans as well. Um, sometimes my, uh, my frustration with things that happen within Christianity, I think uh, sometimes people misinterpret my, uh, my frustration uh, with what happens in Christianity. Um, and so let me explain. Um, probably my greatest frustration within Christianity, it usually comes uh, obviously within the Protestant world because uh, there's so many things they say and do that I think are, are just inconsistent and crazy. But um, I get frustrated when Christians, that so many Christians are so dogmatic about what they think and what they believe when it's easily demonstrated that their, their dogma, right, is based off great amounts of ignorance. Does that make sense? Like, I, I have no problem if, a, if, a, if, a, if you approach a Christian and you're like, okay, hey, you believe this, well, you know, here's this information and this information, and they're like, oh, I didn't know that, I, di- I didn't know this, okay, can give me some more information. Like, teachable humble, right? But it's only almost always, it, it, it's like when you deal with Christians, and I, I've, I dealt with when I was on social media, off social media, in person, it's like, it's like well, one, try to get Christians to talk about scripture. I guess it's literally humanly impossible in some cases. Uh, but if you, can get, if you can start a conversation with Christians about scripture, it's, ama- it's amazing to me that it goes from zero to argument so fast. It goes from zero to disagreement, right? And then, and then once the disagreement begins, sometimes you're kind of like, okay, wait, who am I? I'm disagreeing with someone who literally doesn't know what they're talking about. And it's like, that is, like, I don't get why. It's like, I believe some, some people perceive Christianity as giving them the ability and the authority to be dogmatic and right about everything. And no, that's not the way it works. Does that make sense? So when I get upset with Christians who say, give a definition of grace and have no idea where that definition even der- com- comes from, it's not that I'm upset that they don't know where it comes from. I'm upset that they're so arrogant and dogmatic that they know it, yet they don't know where it came from. Does that make sense? Like, like the, the right response should be, well, this is the, the, the definition I've heard, but I don't really care enough to look up where it came from, and I don't really care enough to know why I think that. Right? Just say that. But Christians won't say that. They'll say, this is the definition of grace, and if you come with a contrary one, because I love to do that, uh, like if I know someone's a Christian, I'll just throw out a contrary definition to a well-known doctrine, even though I don't believe the contrary view, just to watch their reaction. And the reaction is always, crucify, you know, stone, kill, destroy. And they're like, well, wait, what? why don't you take, and, and it's just funny, like, and sometimes just to manipulate people into an emotional response because you're like, um, okay, you're right. I don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about. You're right. And like, they'll, they'll, they'll almost belittle you. And like, you're right. You're, you're smarter than me. You, you know more than I do. Okay, whatever. And, and, and it's just like, when, when, at what point within Christianity did we forget humility and going, wait, I don't know that. No problem arguing your position. Like, this is the way I think. I will argue. However, I've never studied this, so give me resources. And I'll go study, and then I'll come back to you. I never get, 
give me resources. I never get, give me those books. I never get, please explain it. I always get, wrong, 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 wrong. And, and if you don't believe me, you should check my email. When, Like I said, I'll sometimes get a sermon. I'll, I'll preach a sermon and I'll get a running commentary in email form. Three minutes into the sermon. Six minutes into the sermon. Eight minutes into the sermon. And they literally everything I say is wrong. And you're just like, yeah, okay. And, and my conversations, and I've often said this, my conversations sometimes with atheists is so drastically different. Right? And it's like, why is that? So my frustration isn't the fact that Christians don't know. Right? My frustration is that they don't know, but act like they do know. Does, does everybody understand the difference there? Right? So when I point out about grace or I point out something about Pelagius and, I'm, and I get frustrated that, that people don't know, it's not that I get frustrated that people don't know. It's that either A, they don't care to know, which bothers me, or B, Act like they don't need to know and they can still be dogmatic in regards to the subject. This all will play, come into play here with Romans chapter 1 because in Romans chapter 1, why, are we, why have we skipped down to verse 17 of Romans chapter 1? Because Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and following has been a part of some great controversy lately, has it not? Yes. We have the president of the Southern Baptist Convention preaching a sermon in Romans 1, 18 and following and he gets accused of being too liberal on homosexuality and wanting Christians to defend LGBTQ rights. And so he gets, uh, in a sense, condemned and crucified by everybody listening. Then we have another pastor, right? Another pastor, the one from Tennessee, who preaches from Romans 1, 18 and following, borrows from Leviticus, and then he claims that, well, uh, members of the LGBTQ community uh, should be rounded up, tried, and executed. Okay? That's happened. I saw... I think Answers in Genesis, I can't remember. Someone posted an article yesterday, I don't want to state the name of the source, and uh, something about homosexuality, and one of the, some Christian responding said, they should be killed. And you're just like, wow, oh, man, what? What? Like, and they say it again, like, that, like they're absolutely right. Again, so dogmatic. Like, like, and, they, and they'll throw out a scripture. You know, and again, they just throw out some random scripture. Now, if you start asking them questions about hermeneutics, interpretation, do you think they're going to know the answers to those questions? Probably not. But yet they think they're experts in interpreting the Bible. You see, that's my, that's my frustration if I could articulate my frustration. I hope that makes sense to you, right? It's one thing to go, well, you know, I was led to believe that Christians should be, you know, executed, but I, I, I don't really know how to study the Bible in a way to draw that conclusion. That's different, right? Well, let me, let's, let's not talk about homosexuality. Let's talk about how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, how to apply the Bible. Does that make sense? So what we're trying to do, instead of just arguing about, like what I could do is bring all the different views about homosexuality, right? I could sit there and go, let's, this is this view of homosexuality. I believe it's wrong. This is this view, of, and this is what I believe the right view is. The only problem is all of that would just be arguing ideas and not dealing with the fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem seems to be the handling of Romans chapter 1, 18 and following. So therefore, we're going to Romans chapter 1, 18 and following to do what? To figure out what it says. Observation. And interpretation. All right. So last week we focused on what verse? 
18. Remember, we did not focus on 17. We focused on 18. We, we, we kind of skipped 17 relatively quick, all right? Now, when we looked at verse 18, verse 18 introduces a subject. What subject does verse 18 introduce? The wrath of God. The idea of wrath, okay? So, we talked a little bit about the definition of wrath. Everybody remember? All right, I don't want to have to review too long, so your ability to answer will greatly influence the speed of, of said review, okay? All right, we talked about, and one of the things we talked about is we had a MacArthur commentary that gave a definition of wrath, and he seemed to argue that the Greek word for wrath in Romans 1.18 referred to God's wrath, right, versus a different Greek word that he seemed to imply refers to man's sinful, or always changing anger. And what we, we dispelled that idea because the same Greek word used of God's wrath in Romans 1.18 is also used to describe the anger or wrath of man that needs to be put away. So the word wrath here can have a variety of meanings, right? And the reason I wanted to do that is just to show you how one commentary was somewhat misleading. Whether MacArthur intended it to be that way, that's, I mean, I read it directly for you. That's the way it came across, right? And I did an entire recording on why I hate Bible commentaries on this, on this subject. Okay, so what we, did, what we needed to do is go, okay, wrath can have a variety of meanings. What's, what qualifies how we define this kind of wrath is, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God. Since it's a wrath that comes from God, then we know it's what kind of wrath? A holy wrath, a godly wrath. Does that make sense? So the fact that it's the wrath of God, that's the clarifying point. Everybody got that? All right. It's the wrath of God. Now, what did, uh, so we, we came down with some different points about, we learned about wrath, about the wrath of God in verse 18. Here they are. Number one, we learned that wrath is of it is of God. Now, why is that important? That establishes right here at the beginning of this section that God is a God of wrath. We don't always like that, do we? Everyone should say we don't always like that because we don't. We like when God's wrath is being poured out on someone else. We don't like it if it could be on us or one of our loved ones. But God is a God of wrath. It is revealed from Genesis to Revelation. I don't need to go through all the scriptures to show you that God is a God of wrath. All right, number two. It is revealed. It is revealed. Look at the text. For the wrath of God is... Man, I am... My, my, my outlines are so complicated and detailed. Right, they're almost... Uh, as... I have been criticized that my outlines are borderline on stupid and childish. Okay. I do. I, do, I believe they are stupid and childish. I do. Okay. Right? Because my outline is supposed to be what? Observation! Observation is childish and stupid because I'm simply observing what is there. If I want to make my outline complicated, it would be filled with interpretation. I don't want my outline to be an interpretation. I want my outline to be an observation. And then, you still may think it's childish and dumb, then I add things to the outline to go beyond that, right? So, God's wrath, is, it, or the wrath is of God. Number two, it is revealed. Well, it's right there in the text, right? Isn't it amazing how I just follow the verse? right? But now we added to it. it is, because what should be the obvious question? How and where is it revealed? And what did we define? Number one is revealed where? In his word. 
we went through a number of scriptures. It is revealed in his word. Number two, and the cross. Now, I didn't go into great detail looking up scriptures, but you get the idea. What do we believe is happening on the cross? God has poured out his wrath upon his son. That's wrath. Number three, and the moral order. Did we understand what the moral order is? There seems to be built-in consequences that if I go against God's moral order, right, there are negative consequences to going against God's moral order, right? There seems to be. Now, it doesn't mean that it's perfect every single time. It doesn't mean it's going to happen instantaneously. It just means that if you take God's moral order that he outlines, I follow it, there's lots of consequences that don't happen, right? I mean, if, you, if, we, if everyone followed God's moral order, just think, there'd be no stealing, There'd be no murder. Okay? There would, yeah, you, you would think there would be, I mean, like, you know, there would be, all the unintended consequences would not be there. Does that make sense? Okay. Next. Direct personal intervention. Direct personal intervention. Now, that one is a little, da- remember I told you there's danger with that one? We want, I'm not going to review everything. Okay, but you get the idea. All right. Uh, that's how it's revealed. Number three. It is revealed from heaven. Now, there was some disagreement here about my uh, interpretation of it is from heaven. Okay? There's always disagreement somewhere. Okay? But I'm going to stick with my, uh, my interpretation. All right? I believe it is from heaven. It signifies what? The world is dominated by heaven. Even though that we believe Satan is the prince of this world or the god of this world or the prince of the air, that ultimately, no matter what we do, no matter what we say, God's wrath is revealed from heaven, demonstrating heaven is supremacy over the earth. God's moral order is working. Natural consequences flow from it. God's wrath will be revealed, is being revealed, and and I, that, that, I'm not going to try to justify it anymore. I, I don't know how else you can interpret that, but that's how I'm interpreting it. Okay. Next. It is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What is the key uh, in that verse? All. All ungodliness and righteousness. What did I emphasize? He didn't say all homosexuality, all LGBTQ uh, members, transgender no, all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And, and we defined ungodliness and unrighteousness, did we not? What was a simple, what's the simple way to remember our, our, the way we defined ungodliness and unrighteousness? Our attitudes and our acts. Which one felt, dealt more with attitude? Ungodliness. It's a lack of reverence for God, right? It's a lack of caring about God. It's a removing of God. In fact, I posted a message last night. Deletion, the delete, uh, one nation uh, deleting God. One nation deleting God, or I think I just called it deleting God. The idea of deleting God. It's, we're deleting God from our attitude, from any reverence. God is being removed. And then unrighteousness is... Our acts. That's now we. I, I know that there's a. Lot, we could get into a little argument there, but I do believe that he's not using them necessarily synonymous. I believe there are times they're synonymous, but I want to understand God's wrath is being poured out against attitude and action. That's the part I want to get to. All right, does that make sense? All right, that brings us to verse 19. And look at that. Even in my notes, I say review verse 18. I did, we did it. I can check that off, right? Woo, we, got, we got one thing done. All right. Now, we go from 
Um, God's wrath introduced to verse 19. Here we go. First, first word. Because. All right, now stop right there. Just stop with because. As a good Bible student, right? Because all of y'all claim to be good Bible students, right? Y'all are experts on Bible study, right? right? When you see that because, what should that tell you? Say that again. The reason for what? God's wrath being revealed. What is the reason for God's wrath being revealed? What is the reason? Verse 19 is going to give us the reason for God's wrath being revealed. We're going to have a reason for God's wrath because you could look at it and go, man, verse 18, God's revealing his uh, wrath against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness. That's, uh, that's ungodly attitude. That's ungodly actions. Okay, anything that would be ungodly would be something that doesn't meet God's standard. We're all in trouble. Why is God so mad? Right? I'm, I'm using a kind of, you know, that's not exact language, but you're getting the idea. Because it's going to tell me Why? So today, our job is to figure out the reasons for God's wrath. The reasons for God's wrath. Oh, we're, gonna, we're making great progress, are we not? Okay, here we go. We're going to look at one whole verse today. Okay, here we go. We may have to do two sermons to figure out this one verse. All right, what's the reason for God's wrath? Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God, the first reason for God's wrath is because of what may be known. There is something that can be known, and because of what can be known, it is leading to God manifesting or revealing His wrath. There is something that can be known. Now, let me stop right here. Now, you see why I started with explaining why I get so frustrated with some Christians, right? Because there's things that can be known, right? And when you don't know them, and then act like you do, that gets frustrating. Well, God gets upset in a, in a pure way. I get upset in an ungodly way. He gets upset in a pure way, Right? He gets upset because there's something that can be known. Now, what what should be the obvious question? Well, that's a good question, but there's a deeper question. How is it known? Uh, Right? Something can be known, but how can it be known? That's, That's an important... There's an entire branch of philosophy about how you know... What you know. <laughs> oh, wait, you're telling me the Bible uses philosophy? I, who would have thought? Yeah, because Christianity is a philosophical system as well as a religious system. Okay, wait, but that's, don't get me started on that. All right, so what may be known? Here we go. Because God's wrath is revealed, because, and the reason it is revealed is because of what may be known of God is. And here we go. God is upset because of what may be known. How can it be known? Here we go. Because that which may be known of God is manifest. Stop right there. Manifest. Now, what does it mean? I'm sorry? 
Okay, well, that's, yeah. NIV, all right. Well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go back to the NIV when we're finished with the verse, but yeah. Okay, uh, because no, because it, there is a, there's going to be some uh, parts here that we want to see what, how they uh, hand, handle this. Oh, wait! We forgot something. Well, we, because y'all didn't say anything. We forgot a part at the end of verse 18, did we not? All right, we'll get back to that. Because God's wrath is revealed against two things, right? And there's kind of a third one, right? Who hold the truth in unrighteousness? All right. Oh, okay. I just, because I was looking at uh, all my Greek notes and I'm like, oh, wait, that's the Greek word for hold. That's the Greek word for hold the truth. Okay. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing, well, we didn't cover that, but that's okay. We'll get back to that because we've already, we've, we've committed. Once you commit, there's no going back. All right. Agree. All right. Manifest. I just realized that we didn't cover the end of that in my review. And no one raised a hand. Y'all raise a hand all the time to disagree. Nobody raised a hand to go, wait a minute. Don't cheat us. We want all the verse covered. Yeah, we're just like, get done by noon. Okay. All right. Here we go. Manifest. What is this Greek, the Greek word for manifest? Well, it, if we try to kind of get some of the uh, biblical usage for this word, it means apparent, manifest, evident, known, And how did the NIV state uh, decide did it for manifest? Plain to, them. Plain to them. Okay, now the Greek word can be used this way. Plainly recognized or known. Plainly recognized or known. So the, that's where the NIV is taking that idea from. All right, it's used about 21 times in the King James. Um, it means uh, there's some different ways it's used. Um, openly. Known, abroad, spread abroad, outwardly, with, outward, appear. Shining, apparent, um, you get the idea. Basically, uh, the, the concept is this, that God's wrath is being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. There is a third thing there we haven't talked about, all right? Okay. However, the reason why it's being revealed against those things is because there's something that can be known that is made apparent. Something is being, it's abroad, it's clear, it's, it's being manifest, it's being shown. All right, everybody get the idea? And again, the NIV really is trying to emphasize the power of it. Again, how does it read? Plainly. Made plain to them. It's made plain. It's made plain. Think of it this way. Uh, you are a parent, okay, because you, you, you can't understand maybe from a pastor perspective, but you can understand from a parent perspective. And you're like, okay, you give instructions that are apparent. You made, it was clear. It was manifested to them, right? You left a note on the refrigerator. You put a reminder on their phone. It made it manifest. It was apparent. And then you come back. And the opposite was done. Nothing was done. And what begins to rise up inside of you? Wrath, right? Anger. Now, it may be sinful. 
And, and what will make you just like want to just snap and commit acts of, of horrific crime is when they say, I forgot. Or I didn't know. I'm like, you didn't. You knew because it was made manifest to you. This is the same concept. God's wrath is being revealed because something was made manifest. Now here is where we're going to get into a a Greek debate. Right? The King James states it this way. This is where I'll need the NIV. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. In them. Does the NIV say in them? To them, and that's all it says? Plain to them. Okay, all right. The NIV and other, um, other commentators don't believe that this should be in them. All right? They argue that the Greek phrase means that it was made manifest around them. It was in their presence. Okay? Right. Others, and, and I believe that, that the King James, may, I, I, I kind of like the idea of in them, and you'll see why. The Greek phrase, let me just give you the, um, how, how, if we break down the Greek word here, I have the phrase, in them or in, um, uh, it's, e, it's en, if the transliteration is literally en, it's a, um, we, can get, we can go through a number of ways it's used, in, by, or with. In, by, or with. All right? It's used uh, 1,902 times as in. It's translated in 1,902 times. That may, now that's an, to me, that's an argument, right? Okay? It's translated by 163 times. With 140 times among 117 times, at 113 times, on 62 times, through 39 times, and miscellaneous 264. So the normal way it's translated is what? In. Now, others don't like the in part. They wanted to make it around or abroad. Now, there's a drastic difference. Agreed? Something can be known... God has made it manifest around them, in them. Very different. Okay? Keep that in mind. In them, around them. Now, let's continue. Well, we're going to come back to this idea. All right? We're going to come back this, uh, to this idea. All right? Go back to Romans 1.19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. All right, now, we're, just note, not everyone agrees it should be translated in. Agreed? Okay. For God hath showed it unto them. All right? Shown to them. He's shown it to them. This seems to be outside of themselves, Right? In them seems to imply something possibly internal. Shown it to them seems to be possibly something external. Agreed? 
All right. So, God is demonstrating his wrath. He's not happy with something because he has shown something to people, right? And he has shown it. The key, we, we, we feel that there is an, I'm going to make an argument that what he has shown to people, he has shown it to them in two ways. I believe it's shown internally, and I believe it is shown externally. All right? Now, we're going to borrow from verse 20, because verse 19 doesn't define what he has shown them, does it? He's shown them something, but we're still asking what? What has he shown them? Look carefully, verse 20 is going to kind of give us an idea. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Bottom line is, what is being shown? The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is being shown unto them. It's been made manifest unto them. Everybody got this? All right. Now, let's look at the two possible ways. If we say the knowledge of God has been shown to mankind in them, in what ways have God, the knowledge of God been demonstrated to people internally? What are some ways in which the knowledge of God has been manifested inside of people? Oh, come on, this... Okay. All right, let's go with that. That's the best one. Okay. We'll go with that one first. Morality. Every person inherently has a sense of what? Wrong and right. Fair and unfair. Just and unjust, right? It's just built into them, right? There's a sense of morality. Even in our culture that is moving further and further and further and further and further away from God, what is constantly being screamed about? Well, what's the, what's the buzzword for our culture in 2019? Social justice. So I sent out an article today about the gay bishop, right? Okay. Well, if you, talk, if you read in the article, he talks about one of his uh, concerns is social justice. Right? It's in news articles all the time. Social justice. What's the idea of social justice? Right and wrong. We got to fight for what's right. Now, their definition of what, what right may be wrong may be different than yours, but they're like, we, we need social justice. We need to defend the rights of LGBTQ community. We need to uh, f- defend the rights of those who are transgendered. We need to, we need to uh, possibly uh, pay uh, d- descendants of slaves for slavery, whatever the, whatever the issue may be. Now, whether you agree with an issue or disagree with the issue, that's irrelevant. The, the question is, where does this come from? Right? Christians want to sometimes argue morality. Don't, don't argue over about their view ver- versus morality. I, 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 <laughs> see, I'm going to get frustrated with Christians. Okay? Well, you'll see Christians arguing like, no, 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 no. We shouldn't do this. No, we shouldn't do that. No, no, uh, no, this, no, this. And we're having some big debate over some issue. And I'm like, stop! 
what's the question? What's the question that we have to debate before we get into all these others? Where does morality come from? I've got to have a basis for determining right and wrong, right? Because now it's just an argument about, well, Bobby believes this should happen to this group of people, and I believe it shouldn't happen to this group of people. We've got to argue... What is the basing the morality on? Well, guess what? It's, isn't it weird that no matter how far someone mo- removes themselves from God, they still hold on to what? An internal sense of right and of wrong. Where did it come from? It's like you can have a, you can have a, a, a kid raised in a Christian home. They reject Christianity. And guess what they still want to argue with you about? It's wrong for you to say that a homosexual is going to hell. How dare you say that? That's wrong. You know, whoa, you sure did come out fighting for right and wrong. You, gave, you didn't like Christianity telling you what's right and wrong, but now you want to tell me what's right and what's wrong. Because now the issue is not that they're just upset that Christianity condemns it. They now believe the condemning of, uh, or that Christianity condemns homosexuality. Now they're upset and they believe that Christianity's condemning of homosexuality is actually wrong. Maybe should even be made illegal. I posted an, a, a whole discussion about a, a resolution in California to blame religion for LGBTQ suicides or anything else that happens to LBGT, blame it on religion. Well, if you, ban- if you blame it on religion, then you make religion what? Ah. Been telling Christians better wake up. I keep saying, you know, the church is dead asleep, and I don't know what's going to make Christians decide to care about their Christianity, but... Illegal. Yeah, if you blame it for these actions, then you're going to hold religion responsible. Yeah, I mean, you need to listen to the whole discussion. But, um, yeah, I mean, these things are happening. But the, all of these comes down to what? They have a belief that something is right and something is wrong. Where did that come from? It, it's, it sounds cliche, but it's the basic philosophical argument. Morality requires a moral lawgiver. I mean, that's like you know, Christianity 101, right? And C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and that his whole argument. Okay, if you, read, if you read the book, okay. Don't like many of his other books, but I like that. All of his fiction stuff, yeah. Let's not talk about my feelings about... Let's not talk about my feelings about C.S. Lewis and fiction, because I'll make all Christians mad, okay? All right. But you get the idea there. That law requires a law giver. Morality requires a moral giver, right? Where is it derived from? Well, I think that it's, God reveals a law inside of us which reveals a knowledge of God because God is a moral being, right? When you read the Bible, what do you learn about God over and over and over? He believes some things are right. He believes some things are wrong. And, ha- and what's his view about that which is wrong? Wrath. <laughs> right. Wrath, right? Would you agree? All right. So, I, I, I think that there, what's another thing inside of us that could possibly reveal, that's been manifest in us, that reveals some knowledge of God? Morality is a good one. Okay. Anybody else? The worst you can do is be wrong and get mocked. 
Okay? I don't think most people are curious about the origins, but they should be. Yes, okay. I think the most natural thing, true, I, I mean, if you, if you take things that are kind of like universal among human beings, right? Morality is universal among all human beings, right? No matter where you go, they're going to have a moral code and a moral law in which they, they, they argue. And every person argues morality every day. Even the people who say, don't judge. <laughs> they're judging, you're judging, therefore they've judged. So so dumb when Christians say, you can't judge. You just judged my judging. <laughs> so you judged, right? Like that's the most illogical thing in the world. Okay, but all right. So everyone judges, right? So because everyone has a sense of morality. Another absolute universal thing in the history of mankind is that mankind is naturally spiritual, right? Why? Every, every society... Every, even people who, because you'll get some people who will say this. You probably know some people like this. Well, I don't believe in organized religion. Um, I don't believe in the church, but I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean? Oh, it means you're spiritual because you want to be able to, to find God your way, worship him your way. And typically their worship doesn't re- 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 involve the following Going to church, right? Because I don't want to do that. That would require effort, right? B, studying anything, because I don't want to actually study anything. And C, for some reason, their spirituality always is in agreement with their morality. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Okay, well, we'll get to how that shows up here in a minute. But it's something inside, I mean, true, no, no, no matter, archaeologists can go dig and dig and find some new civilization. And what, what's going to be connected with that new civilization? Worship of something. It may be a bug. It may be an insect. It may be a bird. It may be the moon. But they're worshiping something because something inside of them screams what? There's something beyond us. Right? That's manifested in them. Those, are, those would just be two things. right? Those would be two things. You could make an argument of a third one now, this gets really philosophical. What do you think? What would be a third one? We're going to run out of time. Okay, yeah, that's not manifesting people. Okay. All right. We're talking about things that are universal of all men, right? Morality, spirituality. There's another one. Come on. Oh, yeah, I've mentioned all of these about nine billion times. Yeah. Okay. And they're in like every Christian apologetic book that's ever been written in the history of Christianity. Third? Come on. Come on. <laughs> Starts with an L. There we go! Love! Is that not universal? Okay. Like eight bazillion pop songs have been written on the subject of love. Movies, music. I mean, love is universal. Right? Now, why? 
universal. If I'm just an animal, right? The strongest survives. Exactly. In fact, it would be counterproductive. A good good example. 19, I don't remember the year, it was in the 80s, uh, the punk band Dead Kennedys. They came up with this great song, Kill the Poor. Kill the Poor. Kill the Poor. Kill the Poor! Kill them all! They're holding back society! Why waste money helping poor people? Kill them! Instead of welfare, give them a bullet. Instead of help, a helping hand, instead of pulling by, or, you know, there's the person on the side of the street begging, pull, pull it next to them, shoot them. Save us all money and time. Help society. Make our lives better. We'll have more disposable income to share amongst ourselves. Yeah. Right. But because it's, it's making, don't look, don't look at us Christians, please don't. Because y'all start like, that's a bad song, and that's a horrible... It's making a point, okay? It's making a point. It's making a point, right? It's try, Because, they, in fact, you can take it even further. The point is being argued what? That it's counterintuitive to show love and compassion because love and compassion only requires you to sacrifice maybe for good, maybe not. It may be wasted. Don't show love. Kill them. Now, from an evolutionary standpoint, it's brilliant. Again, I worked with a doctor. We had great philosophical... And guess what his view was? People with a low IQ should be sterilized and cannot produce children. Yes, on base. You probably saw him, right? right. Sterilize all people who have low... There should be a a mandatory IQ test. If you have it, don't. Because you reproduce stupid kids, and stupid kids hurt the world. That's number one. Number two. Anyone with a mental, a mental handicap should be put down. Okay. Put, oh, yeah, very Hitler-like. Okay. Should be put down. Why? It's a burden on society. It's a burden on the medical system. So make, 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 make the world great again. Okay. This is his idea, right? Okay. Let's, let's make it better again, right? And, so, and he had a whole criteria. Now, to his credit, he was an atheist. He was being consistent. But there's something inside of us that tends to do what? Okay, right? Okay, okay, well, right. But there's something inside of us that seems to be drawn to love. Now, I will acknowledge that most of our love is selfish, right? We love to get. We don't love to give. There's some kind, there's some kind of love that's... Yeah, we're still drawn to something because when we write about it, right? We have, we, we put it this way. We may, we may love for selfish reasons, but we all inherently have some ideal of a perfect kind of love, right? A self-sacrificing love, a love that puts others before myself. We, we have this inherent, we sing about it, right? Pop song after pop song. I mean, song after song. Entire books of poetry written about it, right? I mean, it's the most common theme in humanity. Now, we don't ever live up to our ideal of it. That explains sin. But why is it there? Well, if God is a God of... And we are created in the 
I wonder where it comes from. It's manifested in us. It's an internal witness of God. Right? I mean, when, when, <clears throat> when your young people, if they reject God and they fall in love, ask them, where did it come from? Now, some atheists argue love doesn't exist. It's just chemicals. Just chemicals in the brain. It's not, love doesn't actually exist. There's, no, no, there's nothing really known as love. Love is just a chemical reaction in your brain to, that happens to try to, to, to fulfill a biological need. There's no love involved. Now, they say that, and then they'll, then they'll love someone. They're like, well, it's just chemicals bouncing around your brain. Don't show any real compassion for the person. We, we can't even be consistent on that, right? What I'm trying to say is I believe in them is somewhat... I, I think there's an argument. If that word is translated over a thousand times in, I'm going to make an argument that the NIV is, is cheating the meaning here. Now, I do believe the context is dealing with the external... It does. I think later on we'll get into the internal of a law written on their hearts. So, but I believe, I'm just going to make an argument here, that even if 19, even if not, not the specific goal, but, but there is this implied. God has made something manifest in you, and what has been made manifest in you is evidence in the knowledge that there is a God. Because you, you, there's something inside of you that did not derive from you because if it derived from you, it would short-circuit what it even means. If morality derives from you, then your morality is only good for you. And then why follow the morality that's inside of you if you want to violate it? Right? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? Why, why, why have so many people built entire religions that in most cases create moral codes that they don't live up to, the, to consistently to them, right? I mean, that's what atheists always complain is religious people are hypocrites. Well, why do we create moral codes that we don't keep? Why would we do that? Doesn't make sense, right? And then love, love it sometimes seems counterintuitive for the furtherment of of the betterment of the majority. I mean, evolution is about the, what, what moving the majority forward, not helping the, 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 I mean, evolution is all about killing off and getting rid of the thing that's hindering the evolution of the species, the survival of the fittest. Love seems counterintuitive to that, does it not? Love makes you vulnerable. Right? So why? Um, there is something inside of us. Now, please think about this. Now, now, I want you to feel the weight of God's wrath. He went so far to manifest his existence inside of people. And yet, they don't respond to the knowledge that is inherent in them. This is, you, you get mad at your kids for the things you have manifested to them externally, right? I put the list on the refrigerator of the three things I wanted you to do and you did not do them and you get mad. The kid could come back, you should have manifested it inside of me. Okay, okay. all right. Okay. That's, that, that, that's, that. I'm trying to help the kids out here. I'm trying to give you a built-in excuse. Well, mom and dad, if you manifested it inside of me, then I would have... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. But... The point is that you can see God's frustration with humanity. 
And Christians will come along and go, well, you know, uh, you, you, can't, you can't condemn people who've never heard. Um, what does verse 20 say? Last part of verse 20? What's the end of verse 20 say? They are without what? Why are they without excuse? Internally it is made known. Now we didn't get to the last part. We, well, we're going to have to stop there. Oh! Okay. Man, we knew, actually we made it further than we would have made it because we'd still be at the end of verse uh, uh, 18 without holding the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, But the idea of holding the truth fits with this, right? Just quickly, unrighteous or ungodliness is attitude, right? Unrighteousness is action, and hold the truth in unrighteousness. Ungodly and unright, unrighteous people hold the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean to hold the truth in unrighteousness? To, is the NIV put suppress? Okay, it's to push down, hold down. What truth are they holding in unrighteousness? I think it's the truth that was just revealed, that's being revealed in verse 19. Because that which may be known of God, this truth that can be known of God, they're holding in unrighteousness. They are pushing it down and suppressing it because they don't want it. They they don't want to retain, now when we say retain the knowledge of God, of the true God. Because it's going to lead to false gods as we go through the text. All right. Now that's manifested in them. Now the next part we have to look at is what? It shewed it unto them. What's the external? So let's state it this way t- this morning. Every human being on the planet has an internal witness that there is a God. And every human being on the planet has an external witness that there is a God. Therefore, every human being is without excuse. Internal, external. Don't make excuses for people who have an internal and an external witness of there being a God. Now, the intern make, make this very clear. The internal and external witness, though, is limited. What can it not do? Cannot bring you to salvation. Okay. Cannot. Yeah. Well, obviously, it can't change your will, right? Your will's corrupted. Okay. Don't don't go plagian on me, right? Okay. Yeah. It can't do that. Um, but it, it can't bring ultimately to salvation. But what can it do? It can't, at, at the very least, it should bring you to what? Questions? I think it should bring questions. Like, that's what, di- what disturbs me most is about young people who don't seem, like, um, there's, a, I, I, I've, I've recorded about this and there's a major discussion going on right now in society. The issue in our society, we went from a society where atheism always existed and then a- a- that atheism transitioned into a militant atheism, 
where they wanted to fight Christians and argue against Christians and wrote these very, very, very condescending books that Christians wouldn't read, of course, because it hurt their little feelings or something. I don't know. But we wouldn't read and engage them because they were just condescending and like Christians are dumb and stupid and you need to convert to atheism. And now we've reached a different level. And this is where society is now. Now, they don't care. No one. (laughs) Well, Christians don't seem to care. Apathyism has influenced the church, and it's outside the church. But you you can find your kids who are raised in a Christian home, and they just seem like, there's a God, there's not a God, I don't care. Or there's a God, maybe, I don't care. Just apathetic. And Christians are apathetic to the fact that if there's people who don't have God, they're going to go to hell. We don't seem too concerned about hell. There's just an apathy that's... that's when it comes to religious issues, an apathy has swept across our, our world. A deadness. And, and, and now the, the lost people are just like, I don't care if there's a God. Like, I don't even care to question. I don't even care. Like, there was a time people were like, I've got to figure out if there's a God or not a God. Now it's people like, eh, whatever. So what? And then the church is like, yeah, well, they don't believe in God. Yeah, so what? Remember that article written by the guy who was, what, a homosexual, atheist, and a Jew... And he's like, all of his Christian friends don't care that he's an atheist or, or homosexual or a Jew. And he's like, well, if they believe Christianity, wouldn't they be concerned that I'm going to hell? He's like, they're not too bothered by it. Are you bothered by it? I think there's, there's something that's happened. We, we've reached a point where we're kind of just deleting God even from our conscience. Like even Christians, like we just don't care. And I don't know what's happened. And, but there's... You can see why God's wrath would be mad. I kind of put it inside of you. At best, I should get an elementary question. At best, I should get, like, is there a God? Well, I need to be concerned about this. But now people just, like, like they just grow up, and the God question is not even an issue. Now, that's not me saying that. Those are, these are experts looking at society. So they, they're even acknowledging. I'm not the only one acknowledging something is happening, and I, and I keep recording and saying that people thinking I'm crazy but something's going on and I don't know how how to define it but we can see what's happening here but please note so far this has nothing to do with homosexuals does it this is humanity at large ungodly unrighteous suppressing the truth God is upset because what can be known of God manifest in them Man, when you're, given the, when you're given the truth inside of you, you're, you're, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. And so we all need, we need to be grateful for that knowledge given to us inside of us, but we may want to be convicted by what have we done. What have we done with that truth? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we didn't make it as far as we would have liked, but I pray that we would really give this some serious thought and not just about um, Romans 1, 18, 19 and following, but just about society around us. Something is happening. And I pray that we would pay close, close attention to what is happening around us, care deeply about it, and know not only how to respond to it, but how it could be impacting the way we think and even impacting our church. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.
The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.